What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 55 of the Lynch with Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, is we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space, in the place that God has put us. Well, I'm so excited to be uh, joining you today, and today we get to sit down with another incredible leader. But you know, every, at the end of every episode, I always ask you to leave a rating and review on iTunes. And I just want to say thank you to all of those that have you've left ratings, those that have left comments. Back on uh, back in June, Jamie805JKCM said, what a great resource for leaders and those who are lifelong learners. I love the nuggets of wisdom and the other resources that come from listening to Mike and his guest. Thank you. Moon J80 said, great interviews, insights, and things to think about in leadership. I love the podcast. One of the few I actually download automatically. I'm sure to listen to it every week, a new interview's posted. There are even a few I've listened to multiple times. My favorite episode was episode 12 with Tony Beasley. What a great story. Man, I love that. Thank you so much for listening in. Thank you so much for being a part because it, without you... This wouldn't be a lot of fun, but thanks for joining me on the journey. Well, today on this uh, episode of Lynch with a Leader, we get to sit down with the Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility for Chick-fil-A Incorporated and the Executive Director of the Chick-fil-A Foundation, Mr. Rodney Bullard. Rodney heads up this community engagement, philanthropic, and sustainability strategy and helping Chick-fil-A be all that they were created to be. But before coming to Chick-fil-A, he served as an assistant United States attorney prosecuting complex criminal cases. For his service, the United States Attorney General presented him with the Department of Justice Director's Award. Prior to that role, he was selected as a White House Fellow, one of the nation's most prestigious public service fellowships. As a fellow, Rodney was placed at NASA working directly for the NASA administrator. He also previously served as the Pentagon at the Pentagon as a congressional legislative liaison in the office of the Secretary of the Air Force. He's an alumnus of the Air Force Academy, Duke Law School, the University of Georgia's Terry College of Business, and Harvard Business School's Advanced Management Program. And he's a new author with his book, Heroes Wanted. This guy transcends leadership. He is thoughtful. He is intelligent. He is strategic, but he's also a Christ follower. And I cannot wait for you to listen in today for my conversation with Rodney Bullard. Well, Rodney, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. It is an honor to be here, and I'm truly my pleasure to be here, my friend. Thank you. Well, man, you have you have accomplished so much. I know it's probably even hard now to look back and remember where you started, but you you crank back in childhood. Your 
your parents were an educator and a minister. They always wanted you to have your best, to have the very best. But mid midway through your first grade year, they got some news they didn't want to hear. Walk us back to that part of your journey a little bit. No, absolutely, my friend. So I, I grew up in Decatur, Georgia, right outside of Atlanta. And uh, my parents, as you said, my father, a uh, Baptist minister here in Atlanta, my mother, an educator, and they uh, they really wanted me to have the best. I grew up as an only child, uh, and they, they tried to pour into me from an educational standpoint. And they, they sent me to this prestigious private school here in Atlanta, uh, and they were scraping the barrel to do so. And I didn't know as a first grader uh, that they were scraping the barrel to send me to this prestigious private school. But I did know when I was at the school that I was having a very difficult time academically. I knew that I was having a difficult time reading. And I knew that I, I felt embarrassed when I was there. And so one day my mother received a call, and this is in the middle of the school year, she received a call from one of the educators. Uh, and uh, she told my mother, the educator told my mother that, hey, Rodney's great. We love him in our class, but he's not reading on grade level. And we would like to place him in a developmentally slower class. And my mother had a, a tough choice to make. And so she decided that she was going to pull me from that school and send me to another school, a school called Rainbow Christian Church School in Decatur, Georgia. And so she sent me to that school. And I remember getting there in the middle of the school year. I think it was probably around December. I don't recall the exact date, but around December. And I got there and I walk into this uh, into this school and I, I will never forget that they had these gray cinder block walls. And it just felt like prison. It felt like some sort of place of confinement. And I just broke down crying. And I was so despondent just to be in this place. It was new. I didn't know the kids there. Uh, and and it, it just felt so dark and gray. But this lady came out. Her name was Mrs. Janie Adams. And Mrs. Janie Adams was the first grade teacher. She comes out of the classroom and she encourages me to come in. And even though I'm bawling in the hallway, she uh, she just consoles me and brings me into her classroom. And throughout the year, I was in Mrs. Adams' class. And at the end of the school year, Mrs. Adams calls my mother and says, hey, Rodney is great, but he's still not reading on grade level. She said, but I see potential in him. I, I see something uh, special in him. And I would like to I would like to tutor him for the summer. And can you bring him by the house uh, throughout the summer and I'll tutor him. And she did just that. And she taught me to read phonetically. Uh, and I just was upset at the time, if I'm frank, uh, <laughs> at the time during the summer, because I was giving up my summer. That's exactly so, right. I'm looking out the window and I'm watching kids in her neighborhood play. And I'm like, I want to go play too. <laughs> And now as an adult, I, I fully understand that she was giving up her summer too. Mm, mm. And, you know, at the end of the summer, after we had both sacrificed, I was reading two and three grade levels ahead of my peers. And that made an indelible difference in my life. It gave me an academic confidence. It gave me a, a, a belief that I could do anything. Uh, it laid the foundation for so much. And so, you know, it doesn't really matter where you start. It doesn't matter the difficulties that you may start with. It does matter the support. It does matter 
the leadership. It does matter the, the, the village that you have around you. And God uses all of those people, all of those instruments, all of his assets to, uh, to help us. That's right. You know, it, you probably never dreamed at that time when you were sitting there as a, as a kid watching your buddies out playing and you're going to a teacher's house to do schoolwork. You never dreamed years later you'd be writing a book called Heroes Wanted. And this lady, without even knowing yet, and probably she didn't intend to, became a hero for you. What was it about her, Rodney, that made her a hero? You know, what what made Mrs. Adams a hero is that she used her abilities to help someone else. And, and, and that's trite to say, but she used what she had. And so oftentimes, and I write about in the book, we say, well, I only have this ability. I only have this time. I'm only good at this. I'm only whatever. And we use it in such a, a negative and limiting way. And the truth of the matter is, you know, I know that Mrs. Adams probably had a lot of gifts, but I know she had the gift of teaching. She had the gift of, of connection. She had the gift of compassion. I know she had those gifts because she connected with me. And only those gifts and only her use of those gifts could have made a difference in my life. And so those are the things that I talk about in the book, Heroes Wanted, and why the world needs you to live your heart out. And she did exactly that. She was a hero to me because she lived her heart out. You know, she set you on a pretty incredible trajectory. Number one, you got great parents who are doing everything they can. And as, a, and as a child, you don't understand, but they're doing everything they can to get you pointed in the right direction. So you've got this incredible teacher pouring into you, using everything she's got. But your parents behind the scenes were teaching you leadership. And they were teaching you that there's a lot more to life than, than, than maybe what somebody sees on the surface. What were some of those things in those early days that your parents did to help make you who you are today? No, absolutely. My father, uh, my father played for the Denver Broncos. My father is a, is a big man. He played offensive tackle for the Denver Broncos. He played offensive tackle at Morehouse college here in Atlanta. And my father, uh, can be imposing physically, but his heart is as big as every other aspect of, of himself. And what I learned from my father was two things. One, not to be a respecter of person, that everybody was deserving of my attention, deserving of my time, deserving of my respect. Uh, and he did that by bringing all sorts of people into our home. And the second thing he he taught me was, that we can't give up on people. Mm-hmm. And he would, I would see him invest in people and they would let him down and he would invest in them again. And he was dogged in the way in which he loved on people. And he wasn't, um, he was very compassionate in the way in which he connected, particularly with with men who, who had not yet discovered their true selves. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is something that, you know, I, I hope, relays into the work that we do now at Chick-fil-A, uh, the work of, of helping people, uh, but particularly young people, find themselves, find their true selves, not giving up on young people, not giving up on communities, not giving up because it seems hard uh, or it seems difficult or they seem intractable. 
that that's important. Uh, my mother, my mother taught me resilience, and I mm-hmm. think you can see even in the story about Mrs. Allen's. My mother was going to find a way. It wasn't uh, the, the no was not a was not something that was really understood well or is understood well by my mother, and so that lesson of never really taking no that there's always a way that there's always a solution that uh, that you can overcome anything personally. Uh, that's an important lesson. And you see that throughout the Bible. You see that throughout stories of success, uh, that it really isn't that you prevent the falling or that you don't fall. It is how many times you get up after you fall. That's right. That's so good. That is so good. You know, you think about your parents, you know, I think for all of us growing up, I grew up in Atlanta too, down on the South side. Um, you, you think about your parents and you think about what they let me do and, and things they taught me. What were some of the things that you knew in your house weren't going to be negotiables? You look at your life now and you're like, man, my parents, I don't even understand that they, I don't even know if they knew what they were doing, but they were putting in me, things that I live out today. What were some of the non-negotiables for your parents growing up in that home that you say now, man, they shaped me. This, this makes me who I am today. Yeah. My parents are uh, absolutely remarkable uh, in the manner in which they, they parented and in the manner in which they, uh, they really fed me. Um, the thing that, that was clearly non-negotiable was an academic education. Mm-hmm. And and that was, well, two things. One, an academic education and a spiritual education. And so uh, I, I'll talk about the academic first, and, and they bleed into one another. Quite frankly, they're one and the same. But the academic education, when I was six years old, or actually probably seven or eight, because it was after Mrs. Adams, uh, my father put me on the phone with a, a guy by the name of Dr. Benjamin Mays. And Dr. Benjamin Mays was the president of Morehouse College uh, in the past. Uh, and he had been Dr. King's mentor. He also had been my father's college president. And he put me on the phone with Dr. Mays. And he put me on the phone with Dr. Mays for a specific reason. He knew that Dr. Mays would tell me that I should go out and get as much education as possible and that I should go out and I should have great experiences. But Dr. Mays also told me that that education was not for me and those experiences were not for me, mm-hmm. that they were for me to go out and to invest in other people, invest in other communities, to lead uh, and to give back through the education that I received and to inspire somebody else toward that same education and towards greater experiences. Mm-hmm. And that all of that in my father's lens was part of leadership, but also part of my spiritual obligation. And the schools my parents sent me to early on were Christian schools, Mount Carmel Christian School, uh, Rainbow Church Christian School, uh, schools that taught me academics was important, but academics was just a parlay and a preparation for a spiritual leadership journey. And that, that leadership and spirituality were were one and the same, and they that they didn't have to be divorced. They shouldn't be divorced. That your spirituality should lead your compassion, and your compassion should lead your leadership, uh, and and your education should lead your understanding of problems, and your understanding of problems should be 
you know, how you solve those problems is leadership. And so uh, my parents were, were big on that. They, they made sure I understood the issues of the day politically. They understood the issues of the day uh, in every other way. I had to listen to talk radio. I had, we had to talk about those issues at the, uh, at the dinner table because they wanted me to be a part of the solution set. And they felt like that was a spiritual obligation. Well, that's so good. That is so good. And you wonder, God, did they sit down and think about that? Or was that just who they were? It really is an amazing to have that kind of foresight to go, you know, what we're going to, we're going to do this, even though they aren't going to like it and it's going to be hard. We're going to do this because it's going to shape them. Was it hard for you to be a preacher's kid? Was it hard growing up with that? You know, you hear the whole stigma, uh, PK, they're going to go opposite. Was that hard for you? It was not. I have to say, um, I enjoyed being a preacher's kid. I enjoyed listening to the sermons. I enjoyed uh, the whole aspect of it. I enjoyed the other kids. Uh, my father pastored in Cedartown, Georgia, and in Atlanta, and I'm still very close to the kids that I grew up with, or now adults uh, from Cedartown and in Atlanta. And I was proud of my father and my mother, uh, in that they were the uh, the pastor and the first lady of the church. And that they were, in my estimation, doing a great job in that role. And so it never was hard for me, quite frankly. Uh, that's great to hear as a, as a preacher. That's good to hear, man. <laughs> that's good to hear because you don't always hear that story. But what it says to me, not knowing your mom and dad, what it says yeah. to me is their faith is who they were. It's not what they did. It's, it is yeah. just, it's who they are. So here's this young man, grows up in Decatur, Georgia, and ends up going away to the Air Force Academy for college, long ways from Decatur, long ways yeah. from home. What drew yeah. you to the Air Force Academy? And what about it is part of that, you know, God's plan and shaping you are to who you are today? Yeah. So one more thing about my parents, and, I, and I'll say this particularly for your listeners. My parents uh, were excellent, but they're not perfect people. That's uh, right. None of us are. And so I don't want to give the impression that they uh, were perfect, are perfect, they're still alive, they still live in Decatur. Uh, but they they gave what they had. They gave what they thought was best. They did what they thought was best. And at times they failed, and at times they had to redirect as well. Uh, and, you know, me going to the Air Force Academy was really a product of them instilling in me this notion of let's shoot for great things. Let's aspire for leadership and let's see, uh, let's get as much education as possible. And the, and the Air Force Academy had uh, several things. One, it was a leadership institution. Two, they had a, a great football team. And I played football in high school and in, and in college in part. Uh, and it was also a great academic institution. And they had a pre-law program. And I wanted to be a lawyer. And, uh, and, and I did, in fact, go to law school and I just was enamored with the fact that they had all the things that I wanted to, I wanted to achieve. And I felt like they could help me do that. Uh, now, when I got there, uh, they yelled at me and, uh, <laughs> and I probably should have a little more thought into that, but, <laughs> but it was a, it was a good experience to learn about followership as well as leadership. And I think they're two sides of the same coin uh, because in followership, you learn what, good leadership looks like and what bad leadership looks like. You learn what to do and what not to do. You, you feel it personally, uh, empathetically, 
and you remember what it feels like when you are leading if in fact you have um had the, the strong and emotional experience of being a follower you you graduate you have a goal I, i've seen you say that you wanted to be the next johnny cochran you wanted to be you wanted to be that guy but that's not where that's not where life took you how in the world did you end up with this with this dream? You're on the mock trial team. You're on the football team. I'm going to be the next. Who, and he was the guy of that era. Uh, how did you end up where you are today? How did that process happen? So, you know, I think you follow your passions and until your passions take you in different directions. And I think your passions will lead you. And my passion was to be Johnny Cochran. I remember watching the OJ Simpson trial and I didn't have a sense of guilt or innocence, but I knew that these were some of the greatest attorneys that I had seen. And I was just enamored by, by them uh, and by the arguments and by the, the cross-examination and, and all of that. And I, I wanted to do that. So my passion took me to law school. My passion took me through mock trial. My passion took me to the U.S. Attorney's Office and to the Air Force JAG Corps. And I got a chance to practice law and to be in the courtroom and to and to be my own version of Johnny Cochran. And I, I loved all of it, but it still wasn't as fulfilling as I thought it would be. Mm. There still was something that was missing, at least in my own life, about leadership, about leading people. Because the cases that I was trying, those were in a courtroom. And I was definitely helping people, and I definitely was impacting society, but it wasn't leadership in the manner in which I was thinking about leadership. And frankly, there was a great saying that we had at the U.S. Attorney's Office is we can't prosecute our way out of the problems of the community, mm. that it has to be something else affiliated with that. And so when I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, Sally Yates uh, here in Atlanta came to me and asked that I help uh, start a community outreach program, a community affairs program, and that we were going to do something in addition to prosecution. We were going to actually help uh, this community that the west side of Atlanta over near the, the Georgia Dome and English Avenue and Vine City. And we started a program because we noticed that there was a high recidivism rate, meaning that people were going back to jail at a significant rate, and that one in three people who came out were going back to jail within a short period of time. And that if you went to back to jail and back to jail enough, that eventually you, you were just going to be there forever. Uh, and we didn't want that for the community because we were losing fathers, we were losing husbands and, and uncles, and we were losing, uh, we were losing in many cases, the men of the community, uh, but also the ladies as well. And so we started a program that would help people in their journey, give them skills, life skills, uh, and I remember we had a sign-in log and people were passing by the sign-in log. And, and frankly, I was upset because I wanted them to sign up and I wanted to know who was there and how many people were there. And we were working with the state and we were local, working with the feds and we were working with um, different nonprofits. And so we need to have that information. And I, I asked somebody why they were, people were passing by the sign-in log and they said, well, a lot of people are having a difficult time writing and they don't want to actually write their names down. They're embarrassed. And so we got help for folks in literacy and help for folks for, for writing. And, and that harkened back to my days with Mrs. Adams mm. and made me think about 
uh, you know, the impact that Mrs. Adams had had on me and, and if these folks had had a Mrs. Adams. Uh, and so, you know, it, it really led me away from the courtroom that there was there was a job to be done. And, and I don't think of it any differently as what I did in the courtroom. What I did in the courtroom was to argue for a cause, to argue for uh, an outcome. And what I'm doing now outside the courtroom is to argue and to lead for a cause and an outcome. And I get a chance to do that at a place like Chick-fil-A. I met Dan Cathy when I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office running this program for Sally Yates. And I met Dan Cathy, and he shared a heart for the community. Uh, and he also felt like it was leadership. And so uh, we started the Chick-fil-A Foundation. And the purpose of the Chick-fil-A Foundation is to ensure that every child grows up to be everything that they can be. Uh, and that's a powerful statement if you think about the words, every child, and can be, and every expectation for our child, children rather. And sometimes, as George Bush said, we suffer from the low bigotry of soft, uh, the soft bigotry of low expectations for our children that we often have these these low expectations that our children can't learn or won't learn or won't be able to do this or won't be successful. Uh, and we give them low bars to achieve. And so our goal is really to uh, to invest in organizations, but to come up with our own programs as well to uh, to lead in this area. And we don't see it as philanthropy. We don't see it as charity. We see it as leadership. Mm. Well, that is so good. You know, it's so amazing, Rodney. You, you look back and you you wonder, okay, God, how do you, how do you use all of my experiences? And then you look back and go, how in the world, how else could I have gotten here? But the Lord and his hand shaping you into who you are today. And now you have a passion to raise up more heroes like Miss Adams, like your parents, you, you made a statement at the beginning of your book. You said, whatever's at the center of your life will be the source of your security, guidance, wisdom, and power. When did you hear that? And what does that statement mean to you? You know, I, I think um, it, it, it flows from a whole host of things, but God will give you the desires of your heart. Mm -hmm. Uh, and whatever is the desire of your heart really is the the, the center of, of what you are trying to do. And we have to be very cognizant that the desire of our heart is not something that is carnal, is not something that is worldly. Uh, but, but we pull up, and there's nothing wrong with look nice things. There's nothing wrong with great things and great experiences. That's not what I'm saying. But I think we have to pull up to our greater selves, our better angels, and say, what what greater objective am I here for? What greater purpose am I here for? What can I achieve with the talents and the gifts that I've been giving? And uh, and I think that that really is a compilation of my parents' compilation of the Air Force Academy and the military service and, and seeing the lives of others, good and bad, uh, and understanding that what you focus on, you'll get. And uh, oftentimes we, it's not that we aren't successful. Sometimes we're successful in getting the wrong thing because we focused on the wrong thing. You say there's a hero in all of us. 
where does that come from? Where does that, where does that thought line for you looking across society, looking at the kids in the West end and the kids in the nicest neighborhood in Atlanta? Why do, why do you say that there's a hero in all of us? Where does that stem from? Because I've seen it. My father, when he would bring uh, these men who were quote unquote destitute and despondent over there was a hero in them. I learned from each one of them. There was a nugget that they gave me. There was a strength that they had. There was an intelligence that they had that was over and beyond anybody who might be wealthy. And it might be just one particular thing, but they understood it. They were aware of it. And I, I truly believe at the end of the day, good leadership is about heart and compassion That's right. and that we all have something to give. And I tell a story uh, a friend of mine by the name of Dr. Greg Ellison, he's a professor over at uh, Candler School of Theology at Emory. And he tells a story that he asked his aunt Dot when he was young, uh, how do you change the world? And she said, I don't know how you change the world, but I do know that you can impact the three feet around you. And we all can impact the three feet around you. Therefore, we all can be heroes. Dr. King said we all can be great because we all can serve. And we all can serve within this three feet radius that we carry with us every day. That when we go to school, when we go to work, when we go to worship, when we go wherever, we carry this three feet radius with us. And we see things that need to be changed and we see people that need our attention. And sometimes we ignore those things. And sometimes we don't pay enough attention and sometimes we are dismissive even. And so if we change our attitude and our posture towards what we see, who we come in contact with, and understanding that even a small word, a little little word can, can be impactful. I was a White House fellow, and I got a chance to go back and speak to the White House fellow class, the current class of 2018-19. Uh, and there was a young man there who said, I really want you to come speak because when I was in an Air Force JAG, I heard you speak and you spoke to me very briefly, but you told me about the White House Fellowship. And since then, I've aspired to be in the program. Wow. And I had no idea about this young man. It wasn't anything that I thought about, but he did. And that conversation within my three feet at the moment changed his life. So you never know when you're going to impact somebody and it doesn't have to be impactful for you for it to be impactful for somebody else. Do you think sometimes people are looking at it going, well, it's got to be on a big stage and, and to be a hero, I've got to show up in the nick of time and they're not looking at the everyday things. Yes. You, you, you are so, so right about that. We think of heroes in this fanciful mystical way. We think of heroes as Superman and, and wonder woman, we think of capes and we think of people who can do superhuman things, who have superhuman amounts of money or abilities and capacity. And what I believe history tells us is that no singular hero has really changed anything in this world. Singular heroes have created movements of people that have changed the world. And at the end of the day, it's the masses that change the masses. And that we need the masses to understand their value, their worth, their, va their, their ability to change, their ability to be heroes. And that it's the little things that make a difference. And that we don't have to uh, save someone from a burning building 
or do something that's grand, we can also do the little things. In the book, I call it a big H versus the little H syndrome. Yeah. And the big H is, you know, there are big H heroes who I question I, I, those who serve in our military and those who uh, who go into harm's way and, and, and all sorts of big H heroes. Uh, but there are also opportunities to be little H heroes. And little H heroes do the, the daily thing that may be mundane, but has a huge impact on someone else. Do you think that you can, and, and I think I know the answer to this, but do you think a person can be a hero and not have a faith? And if a person does have a faith and they, they have that grounded faith in Christ, do they have more in the tank? Should they have more in the tank to be that hero they were created to be? So the answer is yes, but I think everybody has to have a motivation. Mm. And I think everybody has to have some sort of grounding, some sort of informative teaching that helps them be a hero and a sustainable motivation. Uh, and, and I think that in my own walk, in my own life, my sustainable motivation is my faith. Mm. It is an understanding that Christ is and was when he walked this earth a hero and that this is the 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 walk that he showed he didn't he didn't give up on those who were the least and lost he went into the highways and the byways he uh he had a sustainable love and a sustainable motivation because of that love to continue to lead and to really energize the masses because that's what that's what he did he said i encourage each and every one of you all to go out and to walk the walk and to talk the talk. And so he encouraged the masses uh, as leaders are supposed to do. And that's a good mark of leadership that the masses are moved because of what you did or that someone is moved. It may not be the masses. It may just be an individual. Um, and so my faith does inform my leadership. It's, it's, it's impossible for me to divorce it. But I don't think that Everybody would agree with that, and everybody feels that way. The book, Heroes One, it does come from my own faith perspective. But I do think that the book also speaks to, and, and I know because I've talked to people, that it also speaks to those who are of a different faith perspective yeah. and have a different persuasion. But at the end of the day, we have to find our motivation. And so, again, I, I know the same is for you as well. Uh, you know, our, our Christian faith is what informs us. What's the biggest mark you want to make on this life? When life is said and done for Rodney Bullard and, and the, the accolades are all laid out and the, the uh, rearview mirror is full of, of the life story, what do you want to be said about you? What's the difference you want to make while you're here? You know, the, the, the difference that I think about daily right now uh, is my son. He's, he's 12 years old. He will be 12 soon. Um, and making sure that I impart upon him uh, all the things that my parents imparted upon me. Because I, I can do great things beyond my household. I can do great things in other communities. But if I don't, if I don't imprint upon him, if I don't give him all the things that he needs to be successful in this world, and his understanding of leadership and service is not impacted by my leadership and service, then, then I've I failed. I've missed out, uh, and so that has to be, you know, job one for me. It's not the only job, but it is job one. And I think beyond that, as far as the community, 
uh, I want to do God's will. I want to lead in the manner in which he wants me to lead. I want to lead in the places he wants me to lead. Uh, and I want to follow him. And, and and I do my best to put vanity aside because I, I truly believe that if I follow him, that he'll take me places that uh, that I wouldn't have imagined going. I hope you enjoyed that time with Rodney. Man, what a guy. Maybe as incredible a background as anybody we've sat down with. And Rodney, and we use this phrase a lot, he gets it. He not only gets the nitty-gritty of what he does and the strategy he does that with, he gets the nitty-gritty of life. And he is just a guy that, man, I have no doubt will continue to ascend up the ladder of leadership but while he's doing it, not forget why he went there. You know, in his book, Heroes Wanted, it's such a stirring thought to think how valuable heroes are and that all of us at a point were created to be somebody's hero. Typically, we get up, we go to work, we do what we do. But little do we know in the grand scheme that day when we laced our shoes up and we headed out the door, maybe the day that somebody needed the most. My prayer is you'll be somebody's hero because I know I sure need heroes in my life. Thanks, Rodney, for sitting down with us. I hope you'll each go pick up a copy of that book. And uh, we've got a link to it in our show notes because it will be it will be a game-changing book, I can promise you, for you. Well, you know, in the tune of inspiration, our next episode, episode 56, we sit down with a good friend of mine, Shep Shepard. Shep travels across the country speaking in a major college athletic teams, businesses, and is one of the most inspirational people I have ever met in my life. Hands down, one of the top five communicators I have ever heard. I've heard him speak at numerous uh, camps for football players, and he has the students in the palm of his hand because their story, in a lot of ways, is his story. I cannot wait for you to get a hold of episode 56. If you've enjoyed today, make sure to go to iTunes and leave a review for us. Man, that is awesome. You can leave a rating, and that helps it climb up the charts so other people can also listen in. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, be the leader you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.